I want to welcome each of you to our gathering today. Thank you for being with us. As we get settled in, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them, to John 21, where today we're going to continue in a series. We're in week three of this series that we've entitled The Four Gs. We did this series about eight years ago, where we looked at these four grand truths about God. And today, we're going to look at the truth. Again, I've already shared it, that God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. Now, how many of you in the room this morning, like, man, just maybe your tendency, you know yourself that, man, you just kind of want to prove yourself from time to time, right? Like, oh, man, like that is me. Like there, there's many, many moments throughout my day and in my life where I'm like, man, I'm going to prove that to myself, to others, or to God. That, that I can do this, that I can accomplish this, that... uh that, that this is not going to phase me in, in whatever way that it seeks to. So that's where we're going to sit today. And, and before we sit there, so far what we've seen, the, the two truths that we've looked at in this series is that first, God is great so we don't have to be in control. And secondly, God is good so that we don't have to look elsewhere. And I think what I hope you see, like even as we continue to work through these four G's, is that really they're all connected to one another. That in life, as we believe God is good and we don't have to look elsewhere, when we look elsewhere, man, we're really tugging on the reality of unbelief that God is great, right? And we're seeking control and vice versa. And it's going to be the same today. So we're going to look at this, this grand truth that God is gracious today. And then next week we're going to finish up by looking at the truth that God is glorious so we don't have to fear others. And again, my hope is that each of these truths will be of great benefit to our lives. That, that, that we can use these truths about God as tools that, that really, uh, they're, they're not something we just know, but they actually really dig down and allow us to see the state of our own hearts. I also hope that as you and I look at our hearts through the lens of each of these truths, that we would grow in our ability to see uh, even the lies that we might believe. But as we look at the lies that we might believe about these truths, that we would see how these lies produce even sin patterns in our lives. And so we would take this and we would set in the reality of the good news of the gospel and we allow the truths of God to expose and diagnose our hearts. But also, and I love this about the good news, is that the Spirit of God doesn't just expose and diagnose our heart. Actually, God is gracious and He loves us so much that He won't allow us to stay where we are. Right? Like He doesn't just give us life in Christ. Like He transforms us more into the image of Jesus. And so while we uh, become exposed, while these things, uh, man, come to the surface and we realize them, and the good news of the gospel brings healing and transformation as they root out unbelief and we see God for who He is and what He's done through Jesus. You see, this is what really gives us life. This is what brings us delight in Jesus, not because of what we do, but because of what He has done. You see, His Word exposes and tells us who we are and then by grace and sanctification reforms our desires to be His desires as the Word is laid on our hearts. And so today my prayer is that we would see grace for what it is. You see, I think so often in life, like just as we do with great and and good and talking about God, like we've taken the word grace and we've made it uh, maybe a tagline, right? 
So some people would say, well, it's all grace or grace upon grace, right? But they're just meaning like, hey, it doesn't matter what I do. Like, it's just covered. And I believe in God's, I mean, his grace and love, it covers a multitude of sins, right? But we miss it if we believe like, oh, I'm just going to blanket it over. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do. And so my prayer is that we would see grace for what it is, that it's costly, but also that as we see it for what it is, we would realize our need for grace daily. So often we forget our daily need for God's grace. And then we would receive and experience grace that would lead us to live lives of grace outwardly towards others. This is what I want us to experience in our time together today as we look at the truth that God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. And so I want you to think for a moment about your life right now. Maybe about your morning, maybe about this last week, maybe the season of life you're in, or maybe you might even just go way further than that backwards. But I want you to think about your life. And as you think about it, I want you to ask yourself these three questions. Who are you trying to prove yourself to? Who, like if you think about your life right now, who is the man, the primary person, uh, the, 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 the primary being, if it's God, like who are you trying to prove yourself to? The second question is this, what are you trying to prove? And then lastly, so who are you trying, what are you trying to prove, why are you trying to prove it? You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that while we believe God to be gracious, we spend a lot of our lives seeking to prove ourselves, do we not? And so I want to look quickly at these three questions and kind of break down kind of maybe uh, the the examples or uh, maybe the areas where they can be answered, beginning with who are we trying to prove ourselves to? I think when we think about who we're trying to prove, it's really broken up into three areas. We're trying to prove ourselves to God. We're trying to prove ourselves to others, or we're trying to prove ourselves to our own self, right? That that idea of self-doubt, where you're like, man, if I can just prove this, if I can do this, then, man, I can prove it to myself. And I'm going to feel really, really good. That's all I need, but what we know is that it's not all we need. We'll just be left with another area that we need to seek to prove ourselves in. We'll find another area where we need to seek to uh, prove ourselves to, to God so that we can receive some. We'll, we'll uh, try to prove ourselves to others so that they will give us the thing that we think we desire. So who are we trying to prove ourselves to? Which leads to that second question, what are we trying to prove? What is it in your life that you're trying to prove? I thought about this, and, and uh, the, the examples I came up with, I, I, this is not exhaustive, but I think, man, first and foremost, one of the things we're trying to prove is that we are worthy and acceptable. That we're worthy to receive love, affection, and value. A lot of times, be it towards God's self or others, man, we are looking to do things and prove in such a way that we might prove that we're worth loving that we're accepted but you see the the thing is is that feels really good when it works but again it doesn't last because you're always wondering well 
I proved myself today. I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow. But what happens when you seek to prove yourself to someone and they don't respond the way you want? They make you feel that you're unworthy of love and acceptance and encouragement. You know my story and we're just going to dive right into it, okay? You know, growing up, like, man, like, I, I didn't grow up with a dad in the home. And so much of my life was spent trying to prove that I was worthy of acceptance and love. And so everything I did was calculated. I wanted to have the best manners. I, I, I wanted to uh, do everything right. I wanted to be in bed on time. I wanted to, you know, everything was calculated. And around junior high is whenever I finally met my dad. And from the time I met him, everything I did was to try to get him to, to believe and say that I'm worthy of his love, that I'm accepted by him. I remember one of my goals when I first met him was, man, if I can just stay the night at his house one day, that's it. That will prove it. And then that didn't work out. And so, man, I, I shared some of this with my wife at our marriage retreat. Like one of my biggest hurts and pains was that I thought I'd done all these things. I was doing all the right things. I was making the phone calls. I was, uh, you know, trying to just, uh, man, dote on him and, and do anything that I could to prove myself. To prove my worth and my acceptance. And I would ask him, I was playing football because I was a, just this amazing athletic specimen, as you can tell. <laughs> And I was playing football, and so I asked him every week, will you come to my game? Will you come to my game? Will you come to my game? And finally, he relented. And he said, I'll be there. And so I went, and I thought I had done it. I thought I had reached that moment. I told every one of my friends in school. And we get to the game. We're warming up, and I'm looking in the stands, and no one's there. Well, he might just be running behind. The game starts. We get through the first quarter, and no one's there. We get to the same. And my friends are asking me the whole time, where is he? Where is he? Like, I didn't make it. I mean, that wrecked my life. A lot more than I probably even understood. Because what I realize now is that, man, there was nothing I could do to earn that approval. But also what I understand now is I didn't need to look for it in him. So that's one of the ways. It's only going to go up from here, okay? The other way is simply we just try to prove ourselves by being awesome, right? Like, what can I do? How can I be funny? How can I be the one that when no one else will do it, like I'll jump off the cliff, right? Like, and, and, and I'll do the thing that no one else wants to do, or I'll, I'll be this, or I'll be that. I'll conform to this friend group or that friend group because I just want to be awesome. So I'm not going to let that bother me when they say that to me, right? I'm going to act like I'm too cool. Or I'm going to show off and show out. If you've got kids in the room, like that's 90% of my day. Is my kiddos are looking at me like, look what I can do. Look at how awesome I am. Look at this. Look at look what I drew. And I look at it and I'm like, what is it? And they tell me and I'm like, okay, it's something. But like, but it's that mentality. And guess what? Like even as you grow up and mature, like we still do it. It just looks different. Another way we do it is by trying simply to be better than others or at least up to par with them. I've got to do these things so that I can look better than that person because if I do, 
whether I get the promotion or I get the pat on the back or just the simple nod of a head, that's enough and I'll prove my worth. Then one more, man, just simply we're, we're trying to prove. How many of you, you love just proving that you're right or that you know it, right? Like if there's a question to be had, like you know the most inconspicuous, like you have just the craziest random knowledge ever. Because you want to be able to plug it in in the moment. Or you want to be let, let someone know, spouse, uh, usually, that, hey, I'm right and this is why. And I can prove it. And you better tell me I'm right. So we're trying to prove that we're worthy and acceptable, that we're awesome, that we're better than others, that we're just simply right. And so why do you think we continually try to prove ourselves? Why is it that we have this insatiable need just to prove and prove and prove? Well, I think it's for two primary reasons, especially when we talk about uh, what we're going to see in the Scripture today. First, it's because there's something inside of us, whether we realize it or not, that we want, we know we're broken and we want to restore ourselves. We, we want to restore ourselves in our strength because we believe we can do that, that we will be enough. If I can prove it to God, myself, and others that I'm enough, then I'll be restored. But one, broke things can't fix something that's broken. We need something that's not broken to come and fix us. But also, if you do that, like you can do that all day, but you'll never be satisfied and you'll always be worn out. There's a book that we talk about all the time in the here at Center Church, and we call it the pamphlet. We call it the book that makes you cry every year. Uh, it's The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. And he tells this story in this book about Madonna, right? And so Madonna's doing this interview for Vogue magazine one time, and they ask her just about her drive in life. Like, what, man, what makes you just have such drive? And she says this, My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still, listen to this, have to prove that I am somebody. I love in the book because Tim writes that and then he doesn't demonize her for the statement. Actually what he says, he says, hey church, I think Madonna actually knows herself better than most of us know ourselves. Because she was totally fine with this reality of, man, I've just got to prove myself each and every day. Because if I can prove, uh, prove myself, then guess what? I can kind of restore, I can build myself. I can, she terms it, I can be somebody. And so we seek to restore self. But also, like in all this, like the reason we do that is we want a hand in bringing something to the table. And I think one of the ways we do that is towards others. We always feel like we have to have something to bring. We always feel that we have to do something. But guess what? The gift of presence is just as valuable. I would argue maybe even more valuable than what you bring. It's just showing up. Far too often we show up and say, well, I've got to bring something with me when I show up. No, just show up and be there. Now, if you're a part of a missional community and you think about that, still sign up for something for the meal and then show up, right? But like, just show up. But we also do it with God. Like, we want to do enough, be enough, produce enough, 
So that we can, at the end of the day, say, God, look, I brought something to the table. But that, that doesn't work. That's a false gospel that will bring no hope and that will never save you. We, we read about it in our call to worship. For by grace you've been saved, not by works, right? There's nothing you can do. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, you contribute, you contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. You see, if we have the Spirit of God residing in us, as believers who have the Spirit of God residing in us, we, we have said at some point, hey, I give up. God, it's up to your saving work. And again, I believe we would say that. I believe we have to stand on that. But I think at times, day in and day out, we still try to work ourselves into God's saving debt. God, I know you saved me, but, man, I'm really going to do it this time. You see, the good news we need to believe and live from is that through Jesus, we have nothing to prove because he provided all we need by the giving of his life. And the question I have to ask is, do you believe it? You see, we constantly do things that say, look at me, look at what I did, look at why I'm important and valuable both to God, to others, and to myself. And all it does is wear us out because it can't produce what we believe it promises. And God has called us to something far greater than proving by way of His own provision. And so what I want to do simply with the rest of our time is look at the story of Jesus and the disciples in John 21, particularly Jesus' interaction with Peter where we see the good news of God's grace play out through Jesus' story in this interaction. You see, in John 21, what we're going to see is we're going to see the struggles of Peter, but also in it we're going to see the temptation in our own lives to prove ourselves. But also what this text does is it reveals the grace and mercy of God in and through it all. And so in this text, we'll see three threats or temptations that come when seeking to prove ourselves instead of believing, receiving, and living into God's grace. First, we're going to see the temptation to prove through performance. Next, we're going to see the temptation to prove through providing. And then lastly, we're going to see the temptation to prove through comparison. So this story at John 21 comes on the heels of everything that had happened during the Passover, right? So Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. Uh, he ha- has turned over tables. Uh, the, the, the week has gone by. He's been arrested. The disciples have scattered. He is, is set before a, 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 a people who judge him wrongly. He is sent to be crucified after being beaten and mocked and scorned. He hangs upon the cross until he says it is finished. And he gives up his spirit in death. The tomb is sealed, and then three days later, the tomb's open, right? Jesus has resurrected, and he has revealed himself to the disciples. And so needless to say, man, a lot has happened, and for the disciples, this is likely a lot to process. And so what we find in John 21 is Peter, in this moment, he says, hey, I'm just going to go fishing. If you know Peter's story, he was a fisherman, and so he goes back to, in this moment, something that's comfortable, known, and something that, hey, I can just, it's just easy for me. It's something I can just, man, it's it's mindless. I can just go do it and not think. Like, what in your life is that, where you can just, like, man, if I can just do this. Like, if you just set me on a lawnmower, and you just, like, I can go, and it's not, like, nothing. 
And so Peter goes and he, he, he takes this time and some of the other disciples say, hey, we're going to go with you. We need a moment. And it says they go out and they fish all night. These men who used to be professional fishermen. And it says in the text they catch nothing. And that morning Jesus is on the shore. And Jesus calls out to him, and they can't tell that it's Jesus, but he calls out and he says, Hey, guys, did you catch any fish? Really, the, the term there, he, he says, Hey, little boys. Hey, little boys, did you catch any fish? To which they respond, probably disgruntled, No. Who are you? So they tell him no, and Jesus says, Well, hey, uh, let me just give you a little, I know I'm on shore, and y'all are in the boat, I know y'all are fishermen, you don't know that I am, uh, but hey, I want you to just throw the net on the other side. And so they do, and it says that they bring in a multitude of fish. And then we see this beginning in verse 7. That the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Okay, so before we look at the first threat for us as a people who are tempted to seek to prove, I I, want to say that, that as we look at Peter's response here, With everything that's gone on, I I want to, like part of me wants to give Peter the benefit of the doubt for throwing himself into the sea and swimming to Jesus rather than helping the other disciples haul in the fish and getting to shore. You see, it could very well be that Peter is excited to see Jesus. And so so he, he looks and says there's no time and he jumps in and takes off. That could be it. You see, while that could be the motivation and there could be some really good wisdom to that point, I believe, and based on the context of the chapter and what takes place in Peter's life throughout the Gospels, I think what we can also see from this moment of sheer responsive action is a temptation to prove by way of performance. You see, I think in Peter's mind and in his heart as he wants to get there first, because in Peter's mind and heart, if he can prove that he's first, man, he'll be, he'll be it. Everything, everything will be okay. He can, he, he can be reconciled. He knows what he's done previously. And so he says, man, I gotta be first. I gotta get there. I, I have to perform better than everybody else. He's seeking to prove by performing. You see, Peter, if you know his story, is stricken with the need to perform. To prove himself. And so that moment, it looks as if the need to prove himself comes out when he decides. He says, hey, I I can swim faster than the boat. And again, that could be true with the haul they were bringing in. But man, if I'm betting, I'm betting on the boat rather than someone swimming. You see this seeking to prove and perform... Man, it, it, it's Peter's M.O. If you go through the Gospels and look at Peter's response and Peter's life, like Peter, uh, he is always performing and seeking to do things better and faster than everyone else. He speaks faster. Sometimes saying good things. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks him, Hey, who's everybody say that I am? And they, they list, You're a teacher, you're a prophet. And he says, who do, I, who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately speaks faster than everyone. He says, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. But also, Peter rebukes faster than everybody else. In that same chapter in Matthew 16, Jesus, after asking that question, says, Hey, guess what? I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. 
And Peter looks at Jesus, he grabs him and says, hey, you're wrong, and he rebukes him. He's already said, hey, you're the son of the living God, you're the Christ, but hey, guess what? You don't get to control everything. Because you're going to prove yourself to be a better king than Rome. And what he meant was, we're going to go, we're going to lop some heads off. But while he's faster to rebuke, he's, also, he's then rebuked. Which leads to another part of Peter's life where Peter is the one who defends faster, right? There's a moment in the Gospels where Jesus says, hey, uh, he says, everyone's about to desert me. And Peter says, no, 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 not me. They may, but guess what? I'm going to prove to you that I won't. I'll, I'll die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, man, before the rooster crows three times, like you're going to deny me three times. And then in John 18, when Jesus is arrested, who's the one that defends the fastest? Man, Peter pulls his sword out and lops uh, the ear of the Roman guard off. And so while, yeah, Peter might be able to swim faster in the moment, the real threat to Peter's life that leads, I believe, to a uh, us to reflect on the real threat in our own lives as God's people who are called to proclaim God's grace is sufficient is that we can begin to believe that the lie of performance and progress is where value, identity, and approval is found in God's eyes. But not just in God's eyes, in the eyes of those we love. If we could just perform better, know better, be better, share better, we could change and those around us would do the same. You see, but the thing about this thread is that it produces a perform-at-all-costs mindset. It, performs, it, it, it produces a be-known-at-all-costs mindset, a serve more, do more, run harder, charge the hill, and then the next hill, and then the next hill, and then the next hill. But guess what? Jesus didn't care how fast Peter got there. You see, Jesus was there, and he just wanted Peter to be there. Jesus wasn't in a rush. And guess what? In your own life and in my own life, man, Jesus doesn't care how fast we are. He doesn't care how strong we are, how great that we think that we are. He just wants us there. And yet we spend so much time trying to go faster and swim faster and move faster and know the next 14 steps of where we're headed in this direction or that direction because we believe, man, I I have to do it. It's on me. I have to prove myself. And we forget God's grace in the moment that we can just be. That as we saw last week with Mary and Martha, that we can choose the good portion. He just wants you there. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, one aspect of the world that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. That anything worthwhile can be acquired fast. And, and, and if I can just do it faster than everybody else and harder and stronger and more. And, and he's like, no, it, that, that's not the way it works. Just go and be with Jesus. And so we see the threat of proving by performance. I want to continue now by looking at the next threat to our understanding of God's grace in verses 9 through 14. 
It says this, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and also with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Alright, so following the need to prove through performing, we see the second threat in Peter's need, which is this need to prove by providing. The huge temptation is to believe that the love and grace of God comes by providing and doing everything while at the same time acting like we have no need. And so what we see in the story is Jesus asked for more fish. And it says, so Simon Peter responds by going and he hauls in the whole catch by himself. You see, the temptation in our life is to seek to prove ourselves by providing. Uh, And what we do in those moments is what we're really saying is, hey, look what I can do and I don't need anyone else. And I think a lot of times we, we expect that of ourselves in wrong ways. But I also think that, that there are expectations placed on our, us by others and we place expectations on others that, that aren't needed nor required. You see, unrealistic expectations, the felt need to provide everything so that we might prove ourselves will crush us. You see, if you see in the story, Jesus didn't need their fish. There was already fish cooking. He already had some, and and what we know is he could provide it if he wanted it. Rather, what this interaction shows us is Peter's heart and our own at times when we believe the lie, the lie that Peter believed that he had to provide all to prove his access to love when he was already loved. And so today, do you feel the need to prove yourself to God and others by providing So that you might gain access to love and acceptance rather than resting and living from the truth that you are loved more than you could ever imagine. And so we see two of the threats. Let's finish now with the third threat to loving God, to trusting in His grace and that we don't have to prove ourselves. We're going to look at the interaction at the end of the chapter and then we're going to jump back up and see an interaction with Jesus And Peter, but it says this in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to portray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So before we look at the remedy of our three threats in the text, I want us to drop and look at these verses because we see the third threat when it comes to to seeking to prove, which is we seek to prove by comparison. You see, following his feats of swimming and strength, Peter interacts with Jesus who asks him a really good question. You see, all Peter seems to be concerned about is what plans Jesus had for John in the future, rather than just, again, being with Jesus. You see, this threat of comparison is something that I believe we all struggle with at times. And comparison, 
left unchecked will crush you. It, it'll, it, it'll crush community and, and it will crush if you allow it to dictate life, the people that you love. And so look, like, like Peter is so concerned with proving himself and being enough that he looks to the next person and he says, what about them? Because I want to make sure that what you give them, what you have for them, that mine matches up, but maybe mine's a little better. And look at how Jesus responds to comparison. He looks at Peter in grace and he says, who cares? You follow me. Church, may we quit trying to prove ourselves by comparing ourselves to every other person around us. And may we look to Jesus who looks at us and he says, hey, who cares? You follow me. Celebrate what I do in them. Which is, I think, why Jesus says, who cares if I let them live to a hundred? Now, I don't, or live forever. I don't believe that John's still here. Um, But what he's saying is it doesn't matter. Quit being so concerned and comparing yourself and attaching yourself to every other person. You follow me. You see, these are real threats for our lives on a daily basis. But there's good news found in the previous verses. So let's go back up and let's look at 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 19, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Do you love me more than these? You see, the reality of the gospel is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, do do you see me as enough? Do you see my sacrifice as enough that you don't have to prove yourself? All you have to do is simply love me. And then from there, out of the overflow of that, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. I think that's a great question for us to wrestle with. Today, do you love Jesus more than all these things you're seeking to prove? Not do you love by showing what you can prove, provide, or how you view the success and failure of you and others? Do you simply love Jesus regardless? Like today, is it enough for you to love and be loved? Today, is this the source and motivator or, or uh, of your heart for God, self, and others? And so when we think about this reality, how do we respond, not with uh, providing all, not with being all, not with comparing ourselves? How do we respond and not do that? Well, I think it begins by simply learning to be loved. And how do we simply learn to be loved? Well, we experience 
receive, come to know our need for, and live into and from the grace of Jesus. The reality that he took the wrath that we deserve so that we might receive grace. That he took our curse so that we wouldn't have to. That he was stripped bare so that we might be clothed in his righteousness. Guess what? Because of Jesus, we don't have to prove ourselves because he proved himself perfect before the Father. And when the Father looks at us, those redeemed by the blood, he says, no, he sees the Son. He sees the blood of the Son. He says, no, that's my son. That's my daughter. They have nothing to prove it's been paid for. Quit trying to prove yourself. We stand blameless. Nothing to prove. But not only do we stand in God's presence blameless, we stand in His presence in the fullness of great joy. In joy and unafraid. You see, we don't have to look over our shoulder. We don't have to hide. We don't have to, to, to run the, the rat race around us. We don't have to compare. We don't have to blame. We don't have to prove anything. And it's by His grace that we don't. You see, grace destroys our need to prove anything. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is not of your own doing. Man, it's a gift of God. Man, what if you gave a gift to someone and they looked at it and they said, this is the greatest thing I've ever received, but will you hold it for a little while so I can prove that I'm worthy of it? Like you would say, no, that's insane. I'm giving it to you. This is a gift. Like you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to prove anything. It's out of my great love that I give this to you. Like we would say, man, that's foolish, and yet what do we do? We say, God, I know you gave this gift to me, but guess what? Let me just prove myself a little bit today. I really need that pick-me-up. I really need to pat myself on the back. But it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So today we have grace and today we need grace. We need, we have grace and we need grace to combat the lies and the temptation to seek to prove so that we might love others well. We need grace. We need grace so we don't seek to put expectations on how others must prove things to us. You see, what grace does is it produces joy, but also as we see in Ephesians 2, and I believe we also see in John 21, it produces good works. Works that actually bear the fruit of faith, not the need to provide and prove. We simply love Jesus, feed His sheep, tend His lambs, feed His sheep. And so today, do you find joy in God's grace? Today, are you resting in the finished work of His grace? Or today, are you still trying to prove yourself to God, yourself, or others? And today, I invite you to lay those things at the feet of Jesus. Today, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself, maybe your life's just a little wonky right now. And you're looking at life and you're like, man, I am, 
scattered and running and going and flailing and, and doing everything that I can to prove myself in this area or that area. And my encouragement for you today is just to, to look to Jesus and to simply be loved by Him, to, to sit in the finished work, and then in turn just simply to love Him, to enjoy Proclaim, oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? But today, if you find yourself in this moment, you're like, man, I'm seeking to prove myself and do all this and provide for myself and I want to, I, I need restoration, but man, it just, it never, I can never do enough and you haven't given your life to Jesus. I want to say that today, may today be the day that you turn to Jesus. Broken things can't fix something that's broken. Only the perfect one can. Look to Him. Give your life to Him today. So I'm going to have the team come back up. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment, again, maybe just to close your eyes and reflect uh, on those questions I ask. Uh, what are you, like, who are you trying to prove things to today? What are you trying to prove and why? As you think about that, maybe just take a moment and just ask uh, God to just remove those things. Maybe take a moment just to repent of your uh, tenacity to prove. And so repent and then in faith just receive God's grace. And in receiving God's grace, man, begin to believe and live from that reality that you don't have anything to prove. His grace is that great. And then what I want to invite you to do, if those that, that right now, if those that are going to be handing out the elements for communion, if they would go ahead and you would make your way forward. I, I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, as an act of remembrance of God's grace, to share in communion with us today. Whether you're a partner here or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you. And in, in, in the act of receiving the, the elements today, what you need to be reminded of is the grace of God that came at a cost. That Jesus knew for us to receive the grace that we needed, right? That, that, that He had to give of Himself. And so He allowed His body to be broken. He allowed His blood to be poured out. He gave His life so that we might receive mercy and grace. So that we would stop seeking to prove because it would never work. And so I want to invite you to that today if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're maybe wrestling with what I just talked about, about the reality of needing new life, we'd ask that you abstain. Not because we want to uh, ostracize you, but we want you to know what this means and have an understanding. But also we want your life to be transformed before you receive it. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, if you can, when you're ready, just make your way down the center, receive the elements, and then go around the side and sit, and I'll lead us in the sharing of communion. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection. We thank you that you love us so much that you came, that you put on flesh, that you died and that you rose again so that, that we might be freed from our need to perform to provide, to prove that we would be freed from the need to compare. And so, Lord, may we rest in that reality today, whether for the first time or maybe we've just been uh, running to those things. Maybe we look to you today, just as you called Peter to, just to follow you, to look to you, to love you because of the great love that you have for us. 
God, may we be a people that, that have such a deep understanding of your grace, that we would be at such deep rest because we know we don't have anything to prove, but also, God, that that would lead to radical lives of faith. Because if that's true, and I believe that it is, we have nothing to lose. So set our hearts ablaze as we see uh, you did in the the, the, the the church beginning in Acts and, and, and on to today that you set our lives on fire for you. Because we we don't have to perform. We don't have to provide. We don't have to compare. Because you are enough. May we believe today that your grace is enough and respond accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen.